The number one cause of death for people living with diabetes is heart disease. The amount of deaths from autoimmune disease in general is actually higher than heart disease, cancer, diabetes. But stress itself is what we need to learn, to balance, to manage. Otherwise, we will die from the consequences of stress. There are other methods for healing or in healthcare than just what we've been taught or programmed. What if we restored mitochondrial function? They don't care at all what happens to your quality of life. So we're talking about the diet style that's most favorably designed to slow the aging process, prevent disease, prevent cancer and dementia and also reverse disease. How do we create spaciousness for ourselves? Every step you take, you go, you evolve. You go, you evolve, you expand your consciousness. You expand your consciousness, you develop more internal power, you become more available, you become more ready. Life then, God gives you more. If you are seeking greater health, wealth, and happiness, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the number one holistic health podcast in the world. Now, here's your host, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and award-winning documentary filmmaker and health researcher, Nathan Crane. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited today to have Dr. Michael Greger with us. Dr. Greger is a board-certified physician, a New York Times best-selling author, and an internationally recognized speaker on nutrition, food safety, and public health issues. He's a founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and founded NutritionFacts.org, which is a science-based nonprofit that has some of the best videos I've ever seen on reviewing scientific literature on nutrition. If you have not seen those videos, go check them out. They're also on YouTube. That's NutritionFacts, NutritionFacts.org. Today we are talking about his book, How Not to Die, which I love the... I love the title. Um, Dr. Greger, welcome to the podcast. So happy to be here. Uh, I see you on your treadmill as usual, uh, living by example, living a healthy life, which is always awesome. And uh, why aren't you on your treadmill? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, I probably, uh, I'm much closer to overtraining uh, every <laughs> day than I am to undertraining. Uh, I can imagine. Because I'm a competitive athlete, so I, you know, I'll train anywhere from four plus hours per day. So wow. Wow. when I work, I have a standing desk, which is right over here. But nice. I do my podcast. This is really the only time I sit down during the whole day, twice a week. All right, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. You're excused. Yeah. <laughs> but in the, in the book, you talk about everything from how not to die from cancer to how not to die from Parkinson's to depression to even doctors' mistakes, which we know, unfortunately, in the hospitals, one of the leading causes of death today, doctor errors, which is crazy to think about, um, and even sexual dysfunction. I mean, there's so much in the book. It's really, um, really rich and in-depth. One commonality I see throughout your book and your work is vegetables, vegetables, and more vegetables, uh, which I couldn't agree with more. But... What about people who say you need grass-fed, free-range, organic meat to be healthy? My question to them is need for what? Um, now, look, I mean, it doesn't matter what you eat in your birthday, holiday, special occasions, right? It's the day-to-day -day stuff that really adds up. But on a day-to-day -day basis, you really should try to eat healthy. 
Um, and, you know, there's just no cut of grass-fed steak that's going to have the nutrition of uh, vegetables, which are the most nutrient-dense um, foods on the planet. Food is kind of a, it's a zero-sum game. Everything we put in our mouth is a lost opportunity to put something even healthier in our mouth. So it's not that foods are good or bad, then they are better or worse. So when you say something like, is grass-fed beef good for you? It's like, well, compared to what? Compared to a bologna sandwich? Absolutely, right? Um, but compared to chickpeas, I mean, you're just not, you're, you're going to flop. Now, what about the people who would disagree with that and say, well, the science is faulty, right? That there's not enough science that validates that the, um, you know, all the science is primarily processed meat. There's no real hard data on, you know, grass-fed, free-range, organic beef. What about that debate that people have? Okay, well, I mean, if that's your position, then that's a very weak position to take, being like, there's no data supporting what, I, <laughs> what I'm proposing. Well, that's a terrible way to propose something. I mean, the default is like, I mean, is, is you know, prove to me that something is good for you. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, guilty until proven innocent. As far as I'm concerned, there have been studies, however, um, there was a famous study done in Australia, um, uh, comparing, uh, kind of kangaroo meat, which is kind of like their venison, um, to store-bought meat and found significantly less inflammation induced by eating the kangaroo meat compared to the store-bought meat. Um, and so certainly better again, better or worse, is it better than, um, store-bought meat, absolutely, but it still caused a bump in inflammatory markers, IL-6, CRP, um, whereas you eat something like a bean burrito, you actually get an anti-inflammatory effect. It's not just you get less inflammation in your body, actually has an anti, a, active anti-inflammatory effect. And so, okay, um, so you can kind of rank it. Um, you know, better would be the bean burrito. Second would be the kangaroo burrito. And then third would be the, you know, the, uh, you know, whatever, you know, Chipotle meat burrito that they have, you know, available for you. You just mentioned IL-6 and CRP, you know, C-reactive protein, interleukin-6. Talk a little bit about, for people who don't know what those are, why those markers, those biomarkers are important. So, I mean, one of the reasons I think that, I mean, it seems a little too good to be true, like the same diet that's good for your heart just so happens to be good for your brain and good for your liver and good for your kidneys. I mean, it seems like almost kind of panaceic. And you always, anytime someone, something says, my fancy snake oil will cure all diseases, you always have to be a little, you know, skeptical. But the reason why um, a diet centered around whole plant foods helps in so many different organ systems and against so many different chronic diseases is because a plant-based diet is essentially uh, synonymous with an anti-inflammatory diet and in chronic inflammation plays a role in many of the killer diseases um, that are laying to waste western societies like heart disease and diabetes like kidney disease and liver disease and uh, some of the neurological diseases uh, some of the cancers have an inflammatory component um, and so no wonder an anti-inflammatory diet would be able to knock so many of these down same thing with uh, a, a, an artery healthy diet, a diet that helps you uh, improve arterial function, um, uh, clean out atherosclerotic plaque, 
you know, plaque just doesn't build up in your heart and cause heart attacks. It builds up in your uh, your cerebral arteries and causes strokes, builds up in penile arteries and causes erectile dysfunction, builds up in, you know, your femoral arteries and causes peripheral vascular disease. Um, and so, I mean, all of our, all every part of our body needs nutrients and oxygen, needs to get rid of waste products. Um, and so no wonder a heart healthy diet is good for, you know, back pain, right? Just because, you know, you, you need to get nutrition into those intervertebral bit discs. Um, no wonder it's good for so many things across the, uh, kind of across the spectrum. And in terms of inflammation, we can actually measure the effects using the systemic uh, markers of inflammation like interleukin-6 and C-reactive protein to see, wait a second, is this food inflammatory or anti-inflammatory? You don't need to guess. You can actually put it to the test and actually came up with this dietary inflammatory index where they just take all the studies that have ever been done, literally thousands of studies, where they just give people foods and measure the amount of inflammation in their blood. And then you can, if it has a huge anti-inflammatory effect, it gets a large negative number. And if it has a huge pro-inflammatory effect, it gets a high number. And then you can add up all the foods and see if you have an overall pro-inflammatory or overall anti-inflammatory diet. And the single most pro-inflammatory component of the of in their, in their diet, saturated fat, trans fat. Um, the most anti-inflammatory component of uh, ever found um, uh, was is fiber, dietary fiber. Found only one place in the plant kingdom, only one place concentrated, that's whole plant foods, where saturated fats mostly found in meat, dairy, and junk, and trans fats, um, uh, uh, meat, dairy, and, and predominantly junk, although now it's been largely removed from at least the American food supply. Now, does that dietary inflammatory index take into account the macro levels of carbohydrates versus fats versus proteins that somebody might be taking in? Because isn't it true that in the context of you know a higher fat diet, carbohydrates are going to spike insulin and cause you know a negative uh, uh, an, uh, a negative response in the body versus on a higher carbohydrate, low fat diet, you're not going to see the same necessarily the same response. So just curious about when they get those those numbers for inflammatory foods if they're taking those different kind of macro ratios into account or not so that you're absolutely right i'm eating a a fat-rich diet can cause insulin resistance which is the cause of prediabetes and type 2 diabetes such that if you eat the same amount of carbohydrates a low-fat diet versus a high-fat diet you're going to be in a much worse situation on a high-fat diet but we don't see the same influence on inflammatory markers and so people eating a pristine diet, um, eating a particular food will have a, a negative reaction or positive reaction inflammatory wise versus someone eating a, a lousy diet. We, having a high level of uh, baseline level of inflammation or low, um, it's a matter of the absolute difference. Um, and that's what they're measuring. And that's what goes into the index. So from your work as a nutritional scientist, a medical doctor, somebody who has been researching this uh, for decades extensively, what does a pristine diet look like? Well, pristine diet, I mean, really the healthiest, the best available balance of evidence suggests that, uh, that we should try to minimize our intake of meat, eggs, dairy, and junk, maximize the intake 
uh, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, beans, chickpeas, lentils, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices, mushrooms, basically real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. Having said that, doesn't matter what we eat on our birthdays or holidays, special occasions, right? It's the day-to-day stuff that adds up. And on a day-to-day basis, we really should try to eat healthy. And so that would be a diet centered around, not necessarily exclusively, but centered around whole plant foods. Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. And what about serving amounts from uh, from the research? Like, Because people often say, oh, I eat healthy. And I'm like, well, how many servings of vegetables are you eating a day? They're like, well, I have some broccoli with my dinner. And I'm like, yeah, but we're, as you talk about in your book, Vegetables, vegetables, and more vegetables are often one of the underlying solutions to so many of these chronic health conditions. But if people are eating one serving or two servings a day, does that cut it? Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what's remarkable is that uh, it cuts it enough that you can actually see significant differences in health, randomizing people between zero and one or two uh, servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Like if you would have asked me before you did that kind of study, whether you'd see any difference, I'd be kind of skeptical. But it, but it really, in fact, there's actually diminishing returns. Yes, eating uh, six servings is better than five, but the difference between five and six um, is smaller than the difference between zero and one. So any, So it's like exercise. Yes, the more exercise, the better. But any exercise is better than zero exercise. Um, and, uh, and so I, you know, I don't want to intimidate people off of like, oh, well throw up their hands. I'm not going to be able to eat, you know, nine to 13 servings of fruits and vegetables a day, which is recommended. Um, so I'm just going to forget about it. Any amount is better than none, but yeah, we, I mean, the, the data really does show, um, that we should be shooting for nine to 13 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And a serving is kind of like, um, typically like a half cup or a tennis ball size. You have fist size. Well, you got some monster fists. So that, <laughs> well, I'm also, than, I also, yeah, I'm you're also right, you're right. taller. So, yeah, I got my it, my I fists got match my, my body. So yeah, I think it's probably fun. true, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you said that. And knowing that most of my audience are uh, people 50 and older dealing with chronic health conditions like cancer, for example. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I often tell them is you do need to take these things more seriously, right? Someone wanting to prevent a disease and live longer. Yeah, we should take this seriously. But if you have a chronic health condition, I think it's even more important that we take these recommendations, you know, to the absolute most that we possibly can if our goal is to empower our bodies to heal. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, it's less effective. So secondary prevention, once you already have a disease and trying to, uh, you know, prevent your second heart attack or your second stroke or something, um, it's more difficult. You have to have more stringent. So, for example, having an LDL cholesterol under 70 is enough to prevent your first heart attack. You want to prevent your second heart attack. We're really trying to push it down 30 to 50 or even lower. And that's really hard. 
Um, and so, uh, so, I mean, obviously we should try to eat as healthy as possible and, you know, so-called, you know, because something like cancer, most cancers, most epithelial cancers, the typical cancers like lung cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, colorectal cancer, take literally decades to develop. Some of the bloodborne tumors, um, uh, liquid tumors like leukemia can happen in a few years, but most cancers, decades to develop. So, you know, people, we have this sense that we have no cancer, no cancer, no cancer. And then we go to the doctor to get diagnosed with cancer. Oh, yesterday I had no cancer. Today I have cancer. Oh, that sucks. No, not only yesterday you had cancer, 20 years ago, you probably, you just had no idea. So there's, kind of, there's a blurry line between preventing cancer and treating cancer. So all of a sudden you went from yesterday preventing cancer to today treating cancer with diet, but no, all along you were both preventing and treating at the same time. The goal is to die with your tumor, not from your tumor. You know, if you do autopsies of older men, um, the majority have tiny prostate cancers, but they grow so slowly that you're going to die of something else long before the prostate cancer would ever become clinical, but you'd ever even know about it. That's the goal. We need to slow down the growth of these tiny tumors such that we don't need to worry about it. So here we are thinking we're preventing cancer. In a certain sense, we are. We're preventing you know, uh, outright cancer, cancer we know about, clinical cancer causing side effects, causing effects um, on our body. But all along, we're actually treating it too. And so that's why, you know, I don't want people to wait until their first heart attack um, before they start cleaning up their diet, because most people who die from heart disease, a little over 50%, um, die from something called sudden cardiac death, meaning they had no idea they even had heart disease. They have no diagnosed heart disease, um, but then they die literally within hours of their first symptoms. Um, and so then it's too late, um, uh, you know, um, that's why, you know, an ounce of prevention is way more than a pound of cure because there is no cure for dead. What was the percentage you said of people with heart? It's a little over 50%. Um, wow. uh, so it's wow. like 55% um, in men, I think 51% in women. Um, uh, so it's not a vast majority, but it's slight majority. And so, so that's why it's like, okay, well, fine. Heart disease is reversible with a healthy diet. No problem. As soon as someone tells me I got heart disease, all right, I'll get on the program. Until then, I'm going to I'm going to my favorite fast food restaurant. The problem is you may not have a chance um, uh, to uh, to to clean up your uh, clean up your lifestyle. Yeah, that that mindset's the flip of a coin. If it's fifty percent, you're flipping your life. You're flipping a coin for literally your life if you're waiting because you said fifty percent of people die from sudden cardiac arrest. That's crazy. Those numbers are astonishing. I mean. The, in addition to what you said, we know even according to cancer.gov, upwards of 95% of all cancers are not hereditary, meaning right. they are not primarily genetically driven, meaning, uh, and even in nature, uh, the great journal of, of nature has published that upwards of 90 plus percent of cancers are due to diet and lifestyle. So we have this incredible power in our control to change the dietary factors and our lifestyle factors as you're Walking, we need to exercise and walk and move our bodies every day. As we're talking about diet here, eat the right kinds of foods, uh, more vegetables, more fruits, more healthy legumes, all these kinds of things to help prevent cancer or any of these diseases in the first place. But when they come, as you said, all the cancer patients that I work with, by the time they have a cancer diagnosis, it's stage three or stage four. It's metastasized. It's spread to right. lungs and other you know, lymph nodes. And now they're like, okay, now what do I do? Well, it's like, yeah, you can make all these changes now and you should but we should have been making these changes 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, right? 
here's an example I want to share with you and get your feedback. Uh, a woman just uh, emailed me today and she says, um, you know, she told me, so I hear this all the time. I've been eating really healthy. And so I don't know why my cancer came back. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, send me a weekly meal plan of what nice. is healthy for you. You know, because most people think foods are healthy and maybe not so healthy. And she said, my diet most of the time is high protein meals with meat like chicken, turkey, and then some rice. And I will have a little bit of veggies and some fruits and some Greek yogurt and water and strawberries and oats, etc. So there's like, there's quite a bit in there that, that would be considered healthy. You know, the oats, the, the water, the strawberries, the fruits, uh, the vegetables. It sounds like she's not eating very many vegetables, but eating a lot of high protein meat at every meal. So, and what you're saying, what the research shows and what your book clearly talks about is if you're eating a lot of high protein, a lot of high, and maybe you can talk a bit about the science of that, why high protein animal products, you know, can lead to cancer and other chronic diseases. Uh, aside from, you know, negative biomarkers, we talked about CRP, interleukin-6, interleukin et cetera. There's other factors that come into play, aren't there? Yeah, so there are some carcinogens created in the cooking process. Um, so particularly high dry heat methods of cooking. Um, so for example, baking, broiling, grilling, uh, barbecuing can cause a formation, uh, can turn the creatine and muscles from the ruptured muscle, muscle cells to that high temperature. Um, uh, uh, the, the creatine mixes with the uh, blood and body sugars to create these heterocyclic amines, which are known carcinogens. And so even if you don't cut down on the amount of meat you eat, but just change your cooking methods from those dry heat cooking methods to something like uh, steaming, poaching, stewing, um, uh, would cut down uh, on those carcinogens. Similarly, we have these polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons are created um, on the grill. Um, And so it's not all just some of the inherent properties. It's sometimes what we do in the kitchen that can affect how uh, cancer-causing some of these these products are. Um, But in terms of kind of some of the inherent properties, so we're going to put processed meat to the side, which we know is carcinogenic, probably because of these nitrosamines and nitrosamides caused by the nitride additives. But even just kind of fresh, unprocessed meat, um, unfortunately, the the consumption of these high-quality protein uh, can, uh, uh, once we exceed kind of 0.8 grams per healthy kilogram body weight, the recommended minimum daily allowance of protein, um, uh, the protein, particularly these high quality proteins, can increase the levels in our bloodstream of, uh, uh, of a growth promoting hormone called IGF 1, insulin like growth factor 1, um, which is cancer promoting. So you can, um, you know, you do these studies where you put people on a healthy diet, put people on a plant based diet, or even just lower their protein intake. Um, from excessive protein down to the recommended amount of protein, you can drop the IGF-1 levels and you can drip their blood on cancer cells before and after and see um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the slowing of the growth of cancer or even in some cases apoptosis where the cancer is actually killed off um, by the immune system, by the immune cells found in your bloodstream. But then you can reverse that by just adding back to that Petri dish the amount of IGF-1 you banished from your system um, by cutting down your protein intake, particularly animal protein, um, thereby proving that the cancer-slowing, cancer-stopping effect of eating healthy, even just for a few weeks, can be reversed by that IGF-1. There are other factors such as mTOR, which is boosted by these branched chain amino acids and other reasons why 
eating higher protein foods not only associated with decreased longevity, but increased uh, cancer risk. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At HealingLife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors, and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at HealingLife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to HealingLife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net and I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. So when we, it always leads us back to more vegetables, more vegetables, more vegetables. When we're talking about cancer, right, we know that some of the most anti-cancer vegetables are the cruciferous vegetables. The, Fantastic. Right, the sulforaphane, the plus, you know, the antioxidants, the high nutritional content, high vitamins and minerals. I mean, we're talking about kale, you know, dark leafy greens. You've got broccoli in there. You've got Love cabbage. Uh huh. So when you're so, um, are you recommending people eat? Uh, as much of their, you know, vegetables raw or cooked as possible. And what about juicing them as well? So uh, I'm so glad you brought up cruciferous vegetables. People have the sense that, you know, all, all fruits are similar, all vegetables are similar. Um, but uh, there's certain compounds found only in certain families of vegetables. And there's these cruciferous compounds that you mentioned that boost your liver's detoxifying ability such that if you did happen to have that barbecue, um, uh, on Sunday, uh, before or after eating um, a, a hefty serving of broccoli, you can actually cut down on the amount of uh, toxins flowing through your system because your liver is so good at detoxifying these polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. And in fact, the, it lasts a week. You could have had broccoli a week. You randomize people to eat broccoli a week before that barbecue. You can still actually see a significant drop um, in toxins. That's how powerful these cruciferous vegetables are. I encourage people um, to have at least the serving every day. In terms of raw or cooked, the sulforaphane itself, which is kind of the active component, is heat stable. But unfortunately, it's actually not found uh, natively. Um, it's actually produced by kind of a chemical flare reaction. There's an enzyme that uh, that that uh, that creates sulforaphane from a precursor. Both the precursor and the final product are heat stable. But unfortunately, the enzyme is not. So if you destroy the enzyme, you're not going to make sulforaphane. So that's easy. No problem. All we have to do is create the sulforaphane before we cook. So if we pre-chop our cruciferous vegetables, then that chemical flare reaction happens. The sulforaphane is made. And then we can cook it all we want. So we want 45 minutes. So, you know, you're going to eat some greens that day. Get it up, chop them in the morning um, or at least 45 minutes before your meal. Then you can cook them. You can boil them. You can do anything you want to them. And you get the same amount of sulforaphane. Or, of course, you can eat them. Um, raw um, uh, in a salad or something. And 
Uh, my only concern about juicing is you're throwing away a lot of nutrition. So I prefer something like blending. So like making a green smoothie or something would be better because then you're not throwing away that fiber. Now, you know, if you if you juice a vegetable and then you throw the pulp back in, okay, that's fine. I just uh, hate to see all that fiber go to waste. Yeah, the fiber is essential for so many functions within the body, primarily for the uh, bacteria, uh, microflora in our digestive system, right? I mean, that's really the food for our microflora. They need the fiber to, pro to create, you know, they, they help our bodies and our immune systems process so many different functions, and they need that kind of food to, to thrive. Now, it is true, though, someone who's eating a high meat-based diet, they're going to have a slightly different, you know, uh, bacterial diversity in their gut. And so, that question becomes like how healthy is somebody's gut and immune system based on the types of foods that they're eating? Yeah, unfortunately, the carnitine and choline found concentrated in animal foods is uh, converted by bad bacteria in the gut to something called trimethylamine, which is oxidized, oxidized by the liver to something called TMAO, which is associated with heart failure and kidney failure and decreased uh, all cause, uh, decreased uh, longevity, etc. Um, but um, you know, you, 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 you take some, you take a vegan, give them an 18 ounce steak. They don't make any TMAO. Why? Because they don't have any TMAO producing bugs, meats, munching bugs in their gut. Now, if you give them a steak every single day, then they start to grow these bad bugs. And then you can get um, that boost. And similarly, um, you give someone who's been slathering their guts with cheeseburgers and milkshakes their whole lives, and you give them some fiber. Uh, with some high fiber food, give them some, you know, give them uh, some kidney beans or something. And you actually don't see um, as much of an anti-inflammatory effect, a beneficial effect. Why? Because they don't have a lot of good fiber eating bugs. Now you give them those kidney beans every single day that you're going to start building up those bugs. And you're going to see the full benefits of having that microbial machinery in your gut churning out these short chain fatty acids like butyrate, which are so beneficial, absorbing your colon, circulate throughout your body, cross the blood-brain barrier, have mental health benefits, uh, anti-inflammatory, uh, appetite-suppressing, uh, uh, immune-boosting, um, and we're going to maximize those benefits by maximizing the microbial machine, machinery by eating those prebiotics, the resistant starch and, and dietary fiber found concentrated in whole grains and uh, legumes um, that's going to be kind of not only the uh, raw material that the bacteria need, uh, but it's going to get them to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and so there'll be lots down there ready for the next meal. You know, I hear a lot from people, and I know with so many food allergies today, and that's, that's a conversation for a whole other time, you know, what's really causing these food allergies and what's really causing, you know, the, the leaky gut and allowing these proteins to seep into the bloodstream and then, you know, leading to autoimmune disease, etc. But I hear from people often who want to switch to a more plant-based diet, say, yes, this sounds good. I want to do it, but I can't eat beans. I can't eat legumes. I can't eat nuts and seeds. I can't eat high oxalate foods. So, you know, what do you say for people who are dealing with that? And they're like, well, I don't know what to eat. And they're, and they're struggling and they're confused. Uh -huh. And I feel for them, you know? Oh, no, absolutely. So, right. So if you don't have 
um, uh, the bugs, the, the, uh, if you have to kind of start growing those good bugs from scratch, it may take you all to ramp up. Most people can actually, you know, add a lot of legumes to the diet without a problem. But there's a small percentage of people that do experience bloating, gastrointestinal symptoms, in which case you just have to move slow. What do you do um, uh, is those, the, the, uh, it takes uh, on average two weeks for those symptoms to disappear. And it takes two weeks for those. Um, so basically, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the gas formation is actually showing it's working, right? That's what fermentation is. You know, when you're, you're, you're making beer and you see those bubbles, that's the whole point. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good thing that's fermenting. Um, but wait a second. Well, I don't want to have all that extra gas around. Well, what happens is you actually, that promotes the growth of gas-eating bugs. There's actually bugs uh, that can thrive off of methane, thrive off of these gases created by the fiber-eating bugs, right? But it takes a few weeks, but you're not going to have those bugs if you're not eating the fiber. So it's this kind of whole ecology. And so, it's a, so it may take a few weeks for those gas-eating bugs to be, and so then you get the best of both worlds. You're just churning out all those short-chain fatty acids, but you don't get the bloating or the gastrointestinal symptoms because you have those other bacteria that are also profiting um, kind of down the chain. You just have to, may have to give it a few weeks. You know, I talked to a hydrogen expert once um, who's, you know, and there's thousands of studies actually I found out on hydrogen and the various forms of the the needs and functions of hydrogen within the body our body's making hydrogen every single day and the hydrogen is coming from that gas inside our intestines and it's actually he's like look don't worry if you have to fart if you're gassy whatever that's a good sign that you're healthy because that means your body's producing a healthy amount of hydrogen which is necessary for literally like thousands of functions within your body yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is it is a, it is a healthy sign um, uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, just in cer- certain social situations, there's, uh, there's ways we can deal with it. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Greger, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Uh, it's always a pleasure and a joy and a treat to, uh, uh, get to spend some time with you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. It's a blast. Looking forward to coming back. Got a new book coming out in December, uh, 2023, how not to age talking about all that longevity research. Looking forward to coming back, talking about it. Absolutely. Look forward to it. And for those of you tuning in, if you have not read it yet, How Not to Die, go get a copy of it anywhere online or at your local book uh, sellers. It's a great book and uh, wish you so much health and happiness. Take care. Fantastic. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And, you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort. It cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved. 
there is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful what, for what you have achieved.